We're going to think um, about Habakkuk 3, but uh, we're going to think about when uh, the going gets tough. I was looking everywhere for that 80s song that said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I couldn't find it. Even Steve Wilson didn't have a copy, which is a worry. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. The reality of life is not always easy. There are ups and downs, goods and bads. I may have read this before, but it has been on my office wall for a while and it makes me laugh. It's all about when life is a little bit stressful. And I just find it, give me one second. tell before the pages of my book were falling out. Hang on. Stress. This is a prayer I pray mostly at half past eight on a Monday morning. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I cannot accept, and the wisdom to hide the bodies of those I have to kill today because they get on my nerves. Also, help me to be careful to help, help me to be careful of the toes I step on today because they might be connected to the feet I have to kiss tomorrow. Help me always to give 100% at work. 17% on a Monday, 23% on a Tuesday, 30% on a Wednesday, 20% on a Thursday, 10% on a Friday. Just like me, who said that? <laughs> I'm just like that. And help me to remember when I'm having a bad day and it seems that people are trying to wind me up. It takes 42 muscles to frown, 28 to smile, and only four to extend my arm out and hit someone. It's very silly, but life does get stressful. Life does get hard. For some of us, life feels like that at the moment. There are ups and downs. There are all kinds of troublesome times. But how on earth are we to survive this kind of life? And more importantly, how are we supposed to survive the times in a godly, holy way? It's a huge question, but one that Habakkuk uh, does point to and suggest ways of how we can survive. It'd be really handy if you had your Bibles open on Habakkuk chapter 3. Thank you, uh, Carl, for the excellent introduction. That's great. That saves me doing it. I'm sure you did it much better than me. But let me just remind you a little bit more of the background. Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk um, was a Jew, a prophet, and uh, as we've been reminded already, times were not easy. The Jews have suffered for many years, mostly brought on by themselves. They've been in exile. They've been a rebellious people. And Habakkuk here, uh, in the just three chapters, does a lot of questioning of God. God, why is it like this? Why are things like that? What is happening in your world today? I don't see many good things, he concludes at the end of chapter two. Habakkuk is questioning God, and often in times of trouble, uh, we feel like we can't do that. But actually, there's nothing wrong with asking God questions. He's big enough. He can cope with it. But the end of the book ends in this incredible way. We start with some proclamation. 
Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I am amazed at what you have done. I like it in uh, uh, the N, what's this? New Light version. I've heard about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. Habakkuk, right at the end of his book, is just reminding the people of how amazing God is. I've heard of the amazing things you've done. Wow, God, you are great. But then, very quickly, he moves on to talk about a prayer. Lord, I've heard of these things. Renew them in our day. Again, in my version, it says, in this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. Just in two short verses, Habakkuk's reminded us of how great God is, but then he's calling out and saying, God, it's not seeming like that at the moment. The circumstances are not saying that. Renew us, renew them in our day. And then if you turn over to um, verse 17, we've had a proclamation, we've had a prayer, and then comes this amazing trust-building, powerful statement. Even though the fig trees have not blossomed and there's no grape on the vine, even though the olive crops failed and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my Saviour. If you were to uh, write that short passage, what on earth would you put in there? I've got, though the sun never shines, you all know how much I love the sun. Imagine it raining all the time. Awful. Though the sun never shines, the shelves in my cupboard are completely empty. And though the kids won't stop fighting, the work is really stressful. Though my health is terrible, my life is hard. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. What would you say? What things would you put in there? I'm sure you could paraphrase it to make it personal. But here... Habakkuk, even though the circumstances around him are hard, he's still able to say this amazing statement of trust. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I've been uh, reading a very old book that's just been republished uh, called uh, God Smuggler by Brother Andrew. It's brilliant. If you need a faith lift, this is the one to read. And uh, if you don't know much about him... He's worked for many years now, uh, taking God to places that perhaps God isn't kind of visible and present. Uh, For example, we heard him speak at Soul Survivor, and uh, he was talking about going to um, an Al-Qaeda training camp and speaking and uh, having the opportunity to speak to hundreds of boys who were learning to be terrorists and how he had 10 minutes just to stand there and tell them the Bible, and he just preached from the Bible. And that is the kind of thing he's been doing for many years. He's 78 now, still doing it. I have to tell you this, this was hysterical. He stood up and he said, I get death threats all the time, but if I've got to go out somewhere, I'd like to go with a bang. I thought, what an attitude to have. He was brilliant. Anyway, this is um, about his younger years, and this is about the first time he managed to... um, get into Romania, which was then behind the Iron Curtain, a communist country. Uh, Obviously, being a Christian was very hard. And he talks um, about arriving in Romania and getting to meet a head of a denomination of a church and the struggles he had. He says he was worried, uh, but when he did get to meet them, they discovered a problem. 
neither he, the secretary of the group, or myself spoke a similar language. We sat there facing each other across that barren, multi-numbered room, unable to communicate. And then I saw something. On George's desk was a well-worn Bible, the edges of the pages eaten away because he'd constantly turned it. What would happen, I wondered, if we tried to converse with each other via scripture? So I took my own Dutch Bible out from my coat pocket and turned to 1 Corinthians 16.20. All the brethren greet you, greet you one another with a holy kiss. I held the Bible out and pointed to the name of the book, recognisable in any language, and to the chapter and the verse. Instantly, their faces lit up. They swiftly found the place in their own Bible, read it, and beamed at me. Then George, thumbing through the pages, looked for a reference, which he held out to me. Proverbs 25, 25. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Now all three of us were laughing. I turned to Paul uh, in in Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith you have towards the Lord. And then he did the same, pushing the Bible back towards me. Oh, we had a wonderful half an hour conversing with each other through the Bible. We laughed until the tears were in our eyes. And at the end of the conversation, I brought my Romanian Bibles out and shoved them across the decks, insisting that they were gestures of love and that they could keep them and there was no charge. Again, we embraced. Later that day, we finally found an interpreter and our conversation became much easier. Later, we managed to share the hardships and the fear that they all lived in. What I learnt through that was at the end of every statement of pain or hardship or every concern they shared, they echoed Habakkuk's words, but yet we will praise the Lord. These chaps were living in a really hard place. In Romania, they were allowed to meet, but they weren't really allowed to do anything that the governments said they could not. Uh, They lived with very strict rules. And yet... Even in hardship, they were able to say, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. How can we, like Habakkuk, even when times are abysmal, say, yet I am willing to say God is still God. I'm willing to still worship him. I've got uh, four R's to help you. Four different uh, things that maybe uh, you can take away just to help you and inspire you as you travel through hard times. And maybe at the moment, as I said, things are good. Well, store them in your heart and draw them out when you need them. Number one, remember what God has done and his promises. Some of us are naturally more positive than others. But even the most positive of people can struggle when circumstances are really hard. And this is the one sure way I've found to lift my gaze from the circumstances to still say, yet I will praise the Lord. I typed in the word remember into a Bible search engine and got 256 verses back. Let me share with you just three. I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. The second one. So each generation can set its hope anew on God, remembering his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. 
And finally, I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works. I think about what you have done. Remembering the deeds of God, remembering the things that he has done, is something that's very biblical. Right through Deuteronomy, Exodus, all of the Old Testament passages, remembering the good things of God is massively important. They're told again again, don't forget the former things. Don't forget what God has done. And at times, especially the harder times, all of us need to remember what God has done. Here's a few ways to help you. Listen to people's testimonies. Listening to Katie this morning brought tears to my eyes to hear what God has done in somebody's life, to hear how somebody found that relationship with their saviour and friend. It's so inspiring. Reading Brother Andrew's book again, for me, has lifted my faith because I've remembered that God changes lives. Secondly, have you ever tried making a praise list? Sit down, write down as many things as you can to praise God for. Even when times around you seem tough, try to write a list. Number one, he created you. Number two, he sent Jesus. Number three, he loves you. Number four, he'll never leave you alone. At the beginning of writing a list, it might be hard. But I have that list in my prayer diary that I add to very, very regularly. And in times that are tough, I look back at that. And whilst the circumstances don't somehow look different, they feel different because I remember what God has done. But not just that, the other important thing to do is to remember the promises of God because he has done things, but he's also promising to do things in our lives. As for God, his way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all of those who look to him for protection. 2 Samuel 22. Or in the New Testament, it says, And by that same mighty power, he has given us all of his rich and wonderful promises. He has promised that you will escape the decadence of all around you, caused by evil desires, and that you will share in his divine nature. God has promised some incredible things and all his promises prove true. Now I've been talking for too long. It's your turn. I'd like you to find Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Just uh, look at maybe verses 8 to 21. And uh, with the person next to you, just going to have a few moments to read it together. And I'd like you to choose one of the promises in there, one of the things about God that he says are true, that really jumps out of you. You don't all have to share if you don't want to. Maybe just sit there and read the passage if that suits you better. But if you can, let's encourage one another from this psalm of some of the things that are really true. You've just got a few minutes to do that. It's Psalm 145, verse 8 onwards. I think it's really reassuring to know that God's promises never fail, that they're true, that all those things we've just read in just eight, nine verses are so true, and they're scattered throughout the Bible. He will never leave us. He is compassionate, slow to anger, near those who are in need. When times are hard, when times are stressful, 
Remember all that God has done, but remember his promises too. Secondly, remain in him. I told you it was another R. Nearly three years ago, when we were uh, planning our wedding, um, you, some of you were around and will know well that um, Rich was living with a guy called James. And uh, he was a good friend of both of us. Rich had known him for a good few years for university. And he went on holiday to America and ended up uh, dying in a, a, a horrific um, parachuting accident. And it was a really hard time for both of us. Well, and all his friends and his family. And he was a South African chap and his family had to come over. We helped organise funerals and all those kind of things. But the following Sunday, uh, I was uh, down to preach in um, a United Baptist thing in Cambridgeshire. And uh, it had been booked for months and they'd given me the title months and months uh, previously. And uh, being me, I hadn't written the sermon or anything. So I I dug out what I was supposed to be preaching on, and uh, it was on joy. And I sat down and thought, God, you've got an interesting sense of humour. I'm in uh, a place where, actually, I have never felt like this before. We've lost one of our best friends. We're getting married in four weeks. It's not exactly not stressful at the moment. And now I've got to preach on joy with a load of people I don't know, and uh, they'd assured me there'd be at least four or five hundred people there. And I was thinking, if I can even stand up and not cry, it'll be a miracle. And so I sat down with a big blank piece of paper uh, going, right, God, what do you want me to say about joy? What do you want me to say um, on this Sunday? And uh, it just wasn't happening. <laughs> Until God gave me uh, a verse, which was uh, a familiar one, John uh, chapter 15. I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Those words, obviously, at that moment, struck straight into my life. I abandoned the prep I was doing, put some Christian music on, and just sat I did what that Bible passage said, remain in me. I rested in my Father. I just sat. I must have sat for four or five hours just on my own, remaining in my Father. Up till that point, the rest of the week had been filled with busyness, sorting friends out, helping people deal with grief, all kinds of other things, trying to uh, organise a lot of stuff. I'd been busy. But what I actually needed in those moments was just to remain in my Father. I just needed to rest. And something in my spirit changed in those moments. I kind of changed from feeling like I'd never stop crying to having that peace, that peace that I needed. And the joy I felt wasn't smiles and giggles on the outside, but somewhere deep down, that joy that God promises was back by his Holy Spirit. He ministered to me as I rested in my father's arms. I'd like to say the sermon on joy was the best sermon I'd ever preached. I think it was probably the worst, but I got to the end without crying. We talked about joy in a real way, and I think even one person became a Christian, so it can't have been a bad night. God was still in charge. 
we have a tendency to try and fix things, don't we, when times are tough. We try and kind of do it our own way. We think we should be like this, so we try to be like that. We try to do it our own way. But actually, God says, remain in me, rest in me. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The reality is we can't do it on our own. And it's only when we let God be God and rest in his arms that we can say as Habakkuk did, yet I'll praise the Lord. Very quickly, let's just look at the last two R's. Run the race. I've been reading quite a lot about the persecuted church um, over my study week. And Paul um, often comes up as an example again and again in books. And he's incredible at what he went through. Beatings, uh, being chucked out of villages, prison, shipwrecked at least three times, lack of basic things he needed. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6 Uh, 3 to 10 just gives you a little bit of an overview of some of the hardship that Paul faced. But yet, just reading any of the passages of Paul inspires you because he talks about about surviving and praising God even when times are hard. But how on earth did he survive it? Let's uh, just quickly turn to a passage I preached on a while back, actually. Um, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This passage uh, gives us a few insights. He's teaching the young Timothy. And Paul, who uh, faced hardship, was still running the race. Even though uh, he was going through a really hard time, he kept going with God. Like a soldier, he says in verse 3. Like a soldier. If I'd been shipwrecked three times, I wouldn't have gone anywhere near the coast. It just wouldn't have happened. But he didn't stop. He carried on, even when times were difficult. Often uh, we do two things. Some of us shut down, don't want to go out, don't want to get out of bed and try and deal with things internally. Others of us kind of go to all our friends and and ask for their help. Um, If something's up with me, I am a moaning teenager, it has to be said. I sometimes are good at stropping, and if life's hard, then lots of people end up knowing about it. But Paul here to Timothy is saying, when times are hard, keep running the race. Don't get into bed and not get out again. Don't just run around moaning about it. Just keep running the race, carrying on doing what God wants you to do like a good soldier. Carry on following his master's instructions, he says. We all try and sometimes shortcut God. I referred to this a minute ago. Try to help God out when times are difficult. Try to take things into our own hands. But actually, God wants us to carry on following him, listening to him, running by his rules, because ultimately, they're better than anything we did. Abraham uh, took things into his own hands when he was waiting for his son. Often, in times of trouble, we're tempted to take it into our own hands. But Paul here to Timothy is saying, carry on running that race, fixing your eyes on God, like a soldier follow the Lord's commands. God delights it when he turns situations around, because when we actually do it God's way, he works in situations in ways we might never understand. This is uh, from 2 Corinthians. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I do not boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We need to run the race. For that means resting in God, doing it his way. Going through tough times isn't an excuse for us to sit back and do nothing. We need to run with God and carry on following him, carry on praying, carry on our relationship with him. And finally, just uh, we do need to rely on others. We've remembered what God has done and his promises. We've rested and remained in him. We've carried on running the race, but God hasn't put us on this journey to do it alone. Praise God for family and friends and wives and mentors and husbands and all kinds of relationships that we have. God knew what we needed. And God gave us others to make the bad times a little easier and the good times great fun because we can celebrate together. Habakkuk, for me, is the kind of chap I want to sit down with in heaven and have a nice cappuccino and say, Wow, you are an inspiration to me. He, in the worst circumstances, still praised God. Tough times for all of us come. Everyone has them. Some are worse than others. But the reality is they do come. And the Christian life isn't an excuse for an easy life. Our attitude, though, even when circumstances around us just don't make sense, need to be ones of trust and of reliance on God. Even though life is terrible and rubbish, are you prepared to say, yet I will praise the Lord, as Habakkuk did? And are you prepared to say, God, I'm going to carry on remembering the promises you have given me? Am I going to carry on resting in you and walking with you? Am I going to run the race and rely on others that you've given me to get through these times?